Hi, I'm Rob from RobNoFoto.com. Welcome to SCL, the Subject, Composition and Light Photography Podcast. In fact, let me just check I am recording. I am recording. Excellent. Um, well, SCL, what it's all about. Well, it's kind of, it's a bit like my uh, audio diary through my wonderful, through the wonderful world of photography. Um, you'll have to forgive me if I'm getting my worms a little bit mixed up for some reason. I feel a bit fuddled recording the podcast today. I guess it's because I've got so many exciting things to talk about. Um, a couple of things before I started. Um, if you're watching this on YouTube or on the video stream, um, if I put it on there, that all depends on whether the Logitech C920 gives me a nice file to work with because sometimes there can be a bit of a sync problem with uh, with the large files. But anyway, went over to um, Portsmouth today to pick a uh, couple of things up for Suzanne and nipped into a charity shop. And lo and behold, what did I find but a Olympus pen, an EE3. Now, I've never seen one of these um at car boot sale or in charity shops or, or anything like that. I've only ever seen them on eBay and they tend to be quite expensive. I think the, the EE, the electronic eye one, isn't quite as sought after because I think it's basically, it's just like a point and shoot camera. All you do is you you set your um, you set your film ASA or ISO on the front, but like a trip 35, but then there's no focusing, there's no zone focus or anything like that. Uh, it's all fully automatic. All you do is you kind of wind it on and you take the picture. However, there is a slight problem. Although I got it for a song, I think I paid seven pounds for it. Um, it's it, the shutter blades, the uh, sorry, the aperture blades are uh, frozen. They're not moving. Now I'm pretty sure that the uh, light meter, the selenium light meter, is fine because if I point it again towards something bright, it makes a different sound than if I point it towards something dark. But what I can see is that those blades aren't moving at all, even when I put it on the the, the aperture settings for when you're using flash. Um, you, you know, nothing's happening there at all. I've gone online and it does look like it's fairly easy to take apart. And because it's an infinity focus lens, I don't think it's quite as tricky as, as trying to take a strip 35 apart. So I'll be doing a video about that and then getting that little beauty working. The Olympus Pen basically is a half frame camera. So on 35mm film, for each frame where you normally only get one photo, you get two, so you can get 72 shots on a on a roll of film, which is uh, quite a lot. Um, so yeah, can't wait to have a go with that. And I also received through the post from Brooklyn, New York City, dead excited about this one as well, a book by Michael Ernest Sweet called The Human Fragment. So make sure you look that up on the internet um, by the Brooklyn Arts Press, uh, street photographer, very good, amazing inspirational work. I'll be doing obviously a full review on this over the next um, next week or so. But thanks, Michael, for sending me a copy of that. Really looking forward to getting stuck into those uh, those photographs and what I've seen already. It looks very very good. So I've been off for a couple of weeks. We're a bit skint at the moment, so haven't really gone away on holiday this year or done anything. But it give did give me an opportunity to go out and take quite a few photos and go on a few photo walks and the first one I looked up I want to talk about is something that happened yesterday which was a fly past by the um by the the Avro Vulcan uh, bomber um that's run by uh, well a charity organization actually so what is the Vulcan so the Vulcan if you're if you're on your phone now or you're on your computer just do a google search for Vulcan bomber and basically it's an absolute nuclear bomber from the that was used um, by the Brit British from 1960s to 1980s, 
and initially it was designed to be a nuclear deterrent to carry our nuclear weapon and to attack Russia in the case of a nuclear war. Um, but then it was adapted to lots of different roles, and then the only time it was ever used as uh, as a real bombing flight was in the Falklands in 1982, when it did the longest at that time the longest bombing run um, ever ever tried, when it travelled 4,000 miles to hit the airfield at uh, Port Stanley and stop it being used by fighters, and they did hit the airfield. This was before the days of laser guided bombs. And the the great thing about the Balkan is that although it weighs about two hundred fifty thousand pounds and it's one hundred and eleven feet wide, um, it can go at six hundred and forty four miles an hour, and it can get up to sixty thousand feet, um, and it can do a barrel roll as well, just like a fighter. And in fact, the Vulcans were really famous for being incredibly manoeuvrable, especially at high altitude. But in the um, in the late 60s and 70s when you know with the advent of surface to air missiles and things like that they developed low um, altitude flying uh, capability and again the Vulcan was really well known for flying incredibly low um, and in fact in military exercises in America they used to fly Vulcans down the Grand Canyon um, there's all sorts of stories on the internet where the Vulcans would come back and they'd have bits of trees stuck um, in the underneath where they've been skimming across the desert. I think there's a story as well of where uh, one came back and it had some power line stuck on the tail where they'd hit a power line. They took a power line out, not because they were flying over it, but because they were flying under a power line. And this is a big, big, this is a big aircraft. So anyway, it was it's quite... Um, it's quite a, a, an amazing aircraft, you know, for a bomber being incredibly uh, manoeuvrable. And it's always a great sight to see because it's probably, I think, along with Concorde, one of the prettiest jets ever made because it's got this big delta wing on it. Really distinctive shape and a distinctive noise as well. So, back to the story. So, my mate Dave sent me a text saying, look, by the way, if you... If you're down by the coast, um, the Vulcan's doing a display down at Bournemouth, and it's coming back along the coast. And I think he said they would be using uh, visual flight rules or something to, to to get from one place to the other. So I guess they're looking for they're just flying along, you know. And there's a chance you might see it. And I, it's been years since I've seen a Vulcan, and the Vulcan there's only one left that's flying. Um, which, as I say, it's not run by the military anymore. It's run by a charity organisation. And I think, what unfortunately, what they found out is that because the airframe of the aeroplane is so old now, due to metal fatigue, I think next season is going to be its last season of being able to actually fly around. After that, they're going to have to uh, ground it because uh, they, they just don't know whether the, the aluminium used in it and the different alloys are going to, you know, there's a chance they could break. So it will just turn into a, a museum piece that will taxi up and down runways every now and again. So... You know, it's a it's a rare sight to see. So I went down to Stokes Bay, and uh, I thought, well, right, and, and imagine Stokes Bay. It, it's a bay, so it's like a, it's a U-shaped, massive, long beach, with like a headland at one end and uh, another headland at the other. Funnily enough, and in like a shallow U-shape, but it's it's very flat. So you've got the shingle beach, and then you've got like a walkway, and then you've got fields behind it. So you've got a really good view because I wanted to go somewhere because I didn't know where the aeroplane would be coming from. I knew roughly it would be coming from my west, but would it be going inland? Would it be flying over the Isle of Wight? Would it be flying along the Solent? You know, I didn't have a clue. So I kind of perched myself on the beach so I could have a good sort of 360 degree view around and, and then I just waited 
and I texted my mate Dave and said that I'm at the beach, and he was at the beach in Haley Island, which is further to the east, and waited and waited, and then um, I then I heard a couple of aircraft going over, and I kind of struggled to get my camera out because it was before four o'clock, and the, uh, the the Vulcan was meant to be doing its display at four, and then coming back afterwards, and I kind of got my camera out, and there's a couple of Spitfires flying over. So I tried, but they were kind of right overhead and quite high up, so I didn't really get any shots of those. And then I started doing a piece, you know, on my phone to kind of record what I was doing. And then I, and then in the distance, inland, I could see a Lancaster bomber. So I kind of, in fact, if you watch the video on YouTube that I've done, I'll put some, a link in the show notes. You'll see that, um, and have I said that this is show 240? for the 31st of August. Anyway, that's what it is. So if you look for SCL240 on robnonphoto.com. So I sort of said, there's this Vulcan bomber in the distance. So I got my lens out and I was focusing on it and it was a long way away. And because it was a long way away, it was kind of in between trees and things. And I got a few shots of that, but I was like, oh God. And then I was thinking, well, you know, if the Vulcan's that far inland, um, I'm not going to see it very well so I was there oh, thinking a bit and it was quite windy and I must admit although I had a coat on and it is August it was a little bit chilly so I was there I was waiting there's people kind of a few people walking up and down on the on the um on the promenade kind of look at me like what's this guy doing because I had my um 7300 on but I've just got a lens hood for it as well and the lens hood is pretty big so it's a big old lens so I'm standing there and I'm kind of chatting with Dave over the text, you know, taking the mickey. And then I hear another sound. I look behind me and there's there's an aircraft quite high uh, uh, flying flying east. So I've missed it and I look at it and I, I aim it through the 7300. And I think, I could be wrong, but I th- uh, when I text Dave and said what it was, it was a Canberra, which is another type of old RAF aircraft. So now I was thinking, oh, God, this... this I'm not going to get to see the Vulcan very well. It's either going to fly over the Isle of Wight, which is far to the south, or it's going to fly inland, or it's going to be too high to see. Or, you know, it would just be the delta triangle shape of it. It's not going to be very good. So I'm there. So, But Dave texts me and says, look, when you see it, just send me a text. So I'm standing there. I'm kind of waiting, waiting, and waiting. And you're looking around like 180 degrees, because it's just going to be a speck, isn't it? And it's quite a cloudy day, and I'm thinking, well, if he's at altitude, I'm not going to see him anyway. And then... All of a sudden, coming over the Solent from Southampton, I see the Vulcan um, coming, and he's low. I mean, he looked like he was a hundred feet off the water, but he was probably more like um, more like two hundred feet. So you know, I line up the seventy-three hundred. I'm at three hundred mil. I can see him coming in because they have quite a distinctive um, smoke trail. Uh, the Vulcan, so that's kind of coming out of the back. So I can see he's still a long way away, but he's coming in low and. There's, there's something great about seeing a big aircraft coming in low and he's coming towards the headland at, at the end of Stokes Bay. I think he probably was doing a flyover at, at Leon Solent because there's, um, there's an airfield there and then you've got the, the, the Navy base, HMS Sultan. So he's coming in, I'm click, 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 clicking in. I'm getting a shot and he's coming in. Again, you look, look at the video, you see all the photographs. And he's really low and then, and then as he comes along, he's, he's now sort of going inland. He got, he's so low, he's behind the trees. So I'm like, oh, I've lost him. He's behind the trees. He's going inland. And I could see a little bit further up, there's some more where the trees broke. So I run up the beach, back, back, back along the beach. Kind of thing. I set up again and I'm waiting, I'm waiting. I can hear him, but I can't see him. And then all of a sudden, over, you know, probably about a mile away, he bursts over the trees and comes flying over the beach. And he's probably half a mile from me at probably about, again, it seemed a lot lower. It's probably about 
you know 150 feet but it was probably he was probably really about 250 or 500 feet and he kind of goes across the top of Stokes Bay and I'm there click 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 clicking away you know at 300 mil and then it, as he's going out over the sea kind of banks over um, and you know I've got some um, quite interesting shots I haven't heavily processed them for the video because I wanted to get out quickly and he's banking and I can see him and then um, he straightens up banks the other way and then he flies off towards um towards wherever he's going and i tell you what you know there's there's nothing quite as um moving i think you know if you if you like this sort of thing to watch like a big jet um really noisy massive thing and it's so pretty that the, the vulcan as it's kind of rolling along and you're you're firing away it definitely brings a tear to your eye to see this uh, this grand old lady of the sky so anyway that was really exciting love it and i think next year i'm definitely going to do the um the some of the air shows i think because i want to do a bit more of that because I do enjoy taking pictures of, of aeroplanes. So anyway, what other things I've been up to over the last couple of weeks um, since the last podcast? Um, well, I did a, um, a photo walk around Portsmouth that I've been planning to do for a long time and it was a nice day and I packed up, packed all my gear together and what I wanted to do was walk up from from the ferry at Portsmouth, where the Gosport Ferry sort of goes up, along sort of South Sea and up towards South Prey Pier, um, with the idea of then walking back through the sort of built-up bit of uh, Portsmouth um, back to the ferry that way. Um, but yeah, and it, it was quite good. Again, it, what I tend to do is I have a sort of list of things that I want to do in terms of uh, photo walks and stuff, and this is one of them. And I, I, I got some nice shots. I think... Uh, the thing that annoyed me was that when I probably about a third of the way into the photo walk, I was walking along the uh, the old walls of Portsmouth, where the um, near the Round Tower, and it was quite early. It was about ten o'clock in the morning, and there was like a I don't know if they were a wedding party or something. They were dressed in the blokes were in suits, and there was a couple of women in nice dresses, and they were like drinking champagne or something, and they were just standing there. And, you know, they made a nice group, and they're having a laugh, and I walked past, and I thought, well, what, if it's a wedding, why haven't they got a photographer there? And I thought, mate, I wonder if I should ask. And I thought, oh, no, no, I'll, I'll keep on going. And afterwards, yeah, I could have kicked myself. I thought, why on earth didn't I just say to them, I say, hi, you guys look like you're having a good time. Where's your photographer? And it could be maybe they were going to a wedding or something. And they might have said, oh, you know, we haven't got one or something. And I could have said, do you want some shots? And then I could have taken some photographs. It could have been a nice little um, photo shoot, given them my card, said, you know, give me your give me your email, uh, send me an email, and then I'll send you back the shots. But I didn't, you know, I bottled it. So I was well gutted after that. I was thinking, ugh. But I think I made up for it with some other quite interesting photos. Again, I'll put the link in the show notes uh, on robnarphoto.com. Just look for show 240. But it kind of spoke to me in the way that, you know, if you, and I really believe this, if you see something that you think you should take a photograph of, you have to do it. Because if you don't, it's like, you're killing a little bit of yourself inside, you know? That impulse that, hey, this could make a great photograph. It probably won't. But the fact, but if you sort of dismiss it and don't do it, gradually over time, that impulse will disappear. Um, and uh, that's a sad day indeed. So, you know, make sure that if you're in a situation where you could take some photographs, what are they going to do if you ask? They're going to say, they're going to say no, aren't they? So what? Then you move on. And then... Uh, and then, then, then do it. So, so yeah. Next time, I'll definitely won't um, won't uh, miss that sort of opportunity. 
Um, remember, um, we've had the uh, photo assignment, uh, Macro World, over on the RobNonPhoto.com Flickr group, and I hadn't done any macro photography at all. So I thought, right, sod it. I grabbed the uh, grabbed my camera, grabbed um, my 135mm 2.8 Helios lens, I think it is, with the extension tubes and the EF to M42 adapter, my flash, and went to the Forest of Beer, which is... <laughs> it's a forestry commission don't play so it's basically where they grow trees and there's some old oak woodland around there as well with the idea of wandering around and hopefully finding some spiders or bugs to take pictures of the main part of it that's called 100 acres was packed with people so i went over to the forest of beer bit which is the forestry commission and kind of wandered around and had and, and uh, it was a nice walk. Unfortunately, all the flowers and all the plants were past their best being August, and I couldn't find a spider to save my life. Um, but I played around a little bit with doing some macro on some flowers. Um, I actually, for the first time in a long time, used some flash outside because, you know, being forest, it was dark. So I uh, got, got the old um, Yongnuo 565, I think it was, the TTL flash, clagged it up to my 600D with the TTL lead I've got gelled it so it was slightly green and then blatted um, some trees and things and I used it to to make the macro photography a little bit sharper by freezing the freezing the frame and that was quite good I, I tell you what I did do which I which I was glad I experimented with again was moving the lens during longer exposures um, just to get those blurred shots and I think that's something that perhaps as digital photographers we don't play around with enough I know I definitely don't you kind of get obsessed with just taking sharp photographs all the time but when you're in a situation where it is a little bit dimmer, or maybe you've got some ND filters for the front of your lens to to spread out the um, the, uh, the 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 shutter speed, you know, just have a, a shutter speed of a quarter of a second or something like that. Press the button and move the camera like up and down, or well, straight up or across, or spin the focus or spin your zoom ring, and you get all sorts of really cool in-camera shots that you don't need to use Photoshop for. Obviously, you don't want to overuse it because things like zoom blurs and um, that you, where you make those abstracts where you kind of spin the camera around, you know, they, they can get quite boring quite fast. But I think by doing it every now and again, you know, you've got the skill in your toolbox. And it'll also mean that when something pop up, maybe you're out with a subject, you know, a model or something, you think, we, I tell you what could be really cool if we do a bit of zoom blur on the shot just to kind of provide a bit of drama, give it a go. So, So that was quite good. Um, another thing I got up to, I finally, I say finally, I haven't had it that long. You may remember I got the uh, 7300 IS uh, a few weeks ago for a song. And I thought it was really important that I got the comparison review. And what I did was I did a video of the 55 to 250 versus IS, that is, versus as a 7300 IS. So, you know, for the past few years, I've used the Canon EFS 55 to 250, you know, as my... Uh, that, that's my telephoto lens you know, it's, it's the one I've got and I love that lens it's I think it's uh, really sharp I think it's great as a portrait lens as well it's incredibly light the 55 to 250 you know you don't feel it on your shoulder when it's in your camera bag or in, or in your camera and it's a great price you know on, on new or or second hand I mean I got mine second hand a few years ago but as you as you'll remember, I got an opportunity to get a seventy three hundred IS, the newer version, um, for I think I spent one hundred and thirty quid on it, um, which is really, really, really cheap. And I've kind of had this conundrum, and I've still got it to a certain extent of 
what do I do with the the lenses? You know, I'm I'm an amateur. I'd have no need, and I can't really justify keeping two lenses. I can't have a seventy three hundred and a fifty five to two fifty. Um, so I wanted to do a, a really good comparison review of you know, are the lens which lens is the best lens in terms of sharpness, in terms of um, the uh, the IS the image stabilization, which is better. You know, uh, the reach that sort of stuff. And uh, again, I'll put a link to the uh, to the video in the show notes on rubnonphoto.com. But to to cut a long story short, basically there isn't that much difference in sharpness I found between the fifty five to two fifty and seventy three hundred. They're both really good um, if you compare them with each other. You know, one isn't really better than the other, and that includes uh, shooting wide open or you know stopping them down to like f eleven or f eight. Uh, where the real differences come in are the image stabilization. The image stabilization on the 7300 is significantly better. You can probably use the 55 to 250, I would say, at 250 millimeters against a static sub- subject. So something isn't moving, handheld, down to about uh, 125th of a second, maybe a 60th of a second. Whereas the 70 to 300. Uh, IS system will take you easily down to a 60th of a second and maybe you know if if you're very very steady and you take a number of shots you can shoot at 300 millimeters at a 30th of a second and you'll get a good enough picture of a static subject which I think you know is pretty amazing that is really really good obviously with the 7300 you've got that extra 50 mil of reach but you know with the 18 megapixel camera like the 600D and other you know newer cameras, you can crop an awful long way. And but the difference between 250 and 300 isn't very much at all. What was quite good and was quite surprising actually was when you put uh, I put my Jessup's two times teleconverter onto the 7300 because being an EF lens it fits and that was great taking up to 600 millimeters. It was a little bit soft. Um, you're losing a little bit of detail and you're losing autofocus as well. But for a static subject, it seemed pretty good. Um, that that was that was quite um, nice. And my c- conclusion kind of was that if you've already got the fifty-five to two fifty, you know, I don't think unless you can get one very very cheap like I did, I don't think it's worth upgrading to the seventy-three hundred IS. I think you're better off putting your money towards either a super wide like a ten to twenty-two, or I think they do a ten to eighteen now, don't they, Canon? Or, you know, hang on and then trying out, you know, an L lens. I know they're a lot, lot more expensive. I haven't got any experience of L lenses, so I can't, you know, t- tell you whether the 100-300 L or the, is there, there's a 70-300 L, isn't there? Or whether you should go for something like the 70-200 F4 L non-IS, you know, which is not that much more expensive than a brand new 70-300. But overall, I think I'm probably... Going to keep the 70-300 IS and maybe sell the 55-250 to because I've kind of got in my head, there's two lenses that I think I think I need. Now, I don't really need them, <laughs> but I've kind of got in my head that I need them. And those lenses are either and and or the 60mm 2.8 macro. I feel I need a macro lens. I don't know why, I just feel I need one because... I go out and I use my M42s with the extension tubes or I put my extension tubes, my Canon extension tubes, well, Canon copy extension tubes on my telephoto and I've got to take an awful lot of shots to get a sharp one and I think that a proper Canon macro lens could help me with that and I really enjoy doing macro photography. Or I need a, uh, and again, I don't really need it, but 
the new Canon 10 to 18 super wide, which is about 300 pounds, really appeals to me. A super wide lens, um, because you know I do do I, I enjoy architecture photography, you know, urban landscape photography, that sort of thing, and I think with super wide lenses you can get that dramatic effect. So. I think I'll probably sell the 55 to 250, maybe some other stuff as well, and then pick up a 60mm macro or um, or the 10 to uh, 10 to 18. I don't know. What do you think? Send me an email, robnonscalespeeder.gmail.com uh, or visit robnonphoto.com or put some links. Or if you're watching this on YouTube, if I put it on YouTube, put some um, put some comments uh, below the video. So so there we go. Anyway, so that was the 7300. Oh, yeah. And while I had a weird experience while I was, um, excuse me, just taking a drink. A weird experience while I was recording the um, recording the video. I did it down by um, Pretty's Hard. And what you have at Gosport is a peninsula. So it sticks out kind of into the sea, sort of. There's water comes behind it. And then to the east, you've got Portsmouth, which is another peninsula. And in between, you've got the harbour, the big harbour. And so from Pretty Hard, so which is the back of Gosport, you can look up, up over to Portsmouth Dockyard, where all the Navy ships were. Oh. So I sat my tripod there, and there was a Navy ship there, one of the new type, oh, I don't know, the Daring class, I think they are, the uh, destroyers. And um, basically, I used one of the ships as my reference to zoom in, zoom out, and test the lenses at different f-stops, different shutter speeds, and all this sort of stuff. But it was deserted. There was nobody down there. It was quite a blustery day, so it wasn't a particularly nice day to be out. Uh, for a walk. So anyway, I'm there. I parked up and I'm there. I'm, I've got my tripod. I'm taking pictures. This car pulls up, parks right next to mine. Now there's no cars for for a mile each way. So, you know, so there's no reason for why would he park right next to me? But he parks right next to my car, bumper to bumper. He gets out and then with his phone starts taking pictures of the in the direction that I'm taking pictures of. You know, it's just, he's probably right next to me to my right, and then he goes around my back and takes right pictures to my left, taking just taking pictures across the harbour towards uh, these ships or in another direction. And I, I'm like, hello. Uh, I said, oh, it's a nice day for taking photos, isn't it? And he goes, oh, doesn't really say anything. I'm like, why is this guy here? You know, he's fairly smartly dressed. I think, I think he was a secret policeman or something like that. And he was, you know, keeping an eye on me because he thought well, maybe I was a spy taking pictures of the Navy's latest warships. But I don't know, that would be a bit stupid because if you go on Google Earth, you can have a good look at the dockyard anyway, every single bit of it. And if you've got a long lens, you can take whatever pictures you want of the Navy ships. And if you go to the dockyard, you can be right next to them as well. So there's no secrets there. But it had a little bit, added a little bit of drama to that particular photo walk. Um, what else? Went over to Hailing Island to see my mate Dave. Um, unfortunately, it started raining, so I didn't get many shots there. Uh, so that was a bit of a washout. Um, but we had a good laugh. Uh, I showed him um, how to do some video editing. Ah, the dockyard. Right, this is a photo walk I did on Friday, and Amazon Local um, were doing an offer on dockyard tickets. This is the historic dockyard that is in Portsmouth, and we're, we're very lucky around here in the fact that we have the historic dockyard, which is attached to the proper Navy dockyard, and it, in it is HMS Victory, there's the Mary Rose, there's lots of little exhibits, there's HMS Warrior, um, and then as part of the same kind of museum group, you also have HMS Alliance, which is the submarine submarine museum where they've got a submarine out of the water. And there's the Royal Marines Museum in Eastney, and there's the Explosion Museum, which is just around the corner from where we are here. And for £25, I think it is, you could buy a ticket for two adults 
for a whole year to go back as many times as you like. Now, I've never been on the Victory, you know, lived in Gospel all my, well, virtually all my life, but worked in other places, but been here most of the time. Never been on the Victory. Seen it lots of times, gone over to the, and had a look around. Never been on the Victory, never been on the, the Warrior, never been in the Mary Rose. You know, these these big, I've never been at the Spinning Tower, actually, I've still got to do that. And I thought, no, I can't turn this down. This is too good. And to go back again and again, because I thought, what a great place to test cameras, test lenses, do videos from as well. So I thought, sod it. So I went online, bought it, and then I've got two tickets. So it was one for me, one for Suzanne or Oliver. Go over there and uh, went on the victory. And what I did was I went I went very light, which actually was a mistake. But I thought, no, all I'm going to take, take is my 600D. I'm going to take the 40mm 2.8 pancake lens that I got at Christmas with the 600D T3i. It came as a free goodie with it. And I'll take my Trip 35 with some film. And the idea was to do it as like, a, like almost like a field trial for the 40mm 2.8. And also, um, you know, to do a video about that, you know, and just to kind of challenge myself to do a, uh, a, a just use one lens. However, what I didn't know at the time, which I've done a bit of research on the internet, was that Friday was also the paying off day of HMS Illustrious, which is the last of the uh, Royal Navy's aircraft carriers until they get the, the two new huge ones in a few years' time. And so I kind of got to the dockyard, started wandering around, and I could see Illustrious, and they had all these marching bands. Um, they had helicopters flying over. Um, they had a fly pass by a Royal Navy Sea Vixen jet and another jet. Um, the Royal Navy Lynx helicopter did an aerobatical display over it. And I'm trying to record all this using a 40 millimeter lens. You know, it, yeah, it doesn't work. Things are too far away. So I was a bit gutted about that. Um, and, you know, the only... I went around a couple of little museums, but the only big attraction I went on was was uh, the Victory. Um, and the Victory at the moment is quite unique because they've actually taken down all the rigging, all the like the cross bits, because every now and again I have to get them down and maintain them, replace the rotten wood, etc. There's a lot of work going on on the on the Victory. Um, but it was great. It was fantastic. I tell you, what, I'm going to go back um, fairly soon when there's a lot less people around because it was one of the last days of the, the summer holidays for the kids. So it was pretty packed walking around, very hot as well. Um, but you know, the, the ability to, to what you're touching history, aren't you? You can stand where Nelson in 1805 at the Battle of Trafalgar, you know, where he he got shot and he fell down, and where they dragged him downstairs and where he died downstairs. You know, I guess for maybe for people from the rest of the world, you kind of think, oh, what's the big deal? But for 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 English people and British people, the Battle of Trafalgar and Nelson, you know, he's really part of the the makeup of what it means to be uh, to be British, and you know, it was one of those kind of turning points, I guess. For you could say for world history as well, when Britain defeated um, Napoleon and the so the French and the Spanish at Trafalgar, because it meant then that Napoleon wasn't going to invade, um, wasn't going to invade England, and kind of eventually um, led to us kicking him out. Um, but anyway, it's it's great to walk around. Um, I would have liked to be able to talk to some of the people who, because it's still a commission ship, the Victory, even though it's in a dry dock, you know. So I'd have liked to talk to the people a lot more on there because they've got guides. But it was very, very busy. Um, but it, it took about an hour to walk around the ship, and took lots of photographs. And the forty mil two point eight was great. Um, and I think one of the beauties, one of the great things about using a fixed focus length. Uh, lens like a 40 mil or a 50 mil especially on a crop sensor body like uh, my 600d 
is that it's a little bit telephoto. You know, it by definition gets you closer to the subject than you normally would get. And one of the things we always say about how you improve your photography, it's always a get closer, fill the frame. And if you've got a crop sensor body with a 40mm lens on, or a 50mm, you are closer, because a 40mm lens on a 600D, I think you timed it by 1.6 and 1.5, so it's more like a 60mm lens, which means that, you know, it is by no means wide angle. I mean, a wide angle lens on a full frame body is 28mm. And this is the same as using a 60mm frame for 60mm lens. So you really are quite zoomed in. And although that can be very frustrating at the time, because you can't get back far enough a lot of the time to get the photo you want, when you actually look at the photos afterwards, you you, you, you do a lot less cropping, and there are a lot more, I think there are a lot more in your face. There are a lot more, um, there's a lot more keepers, I think, because... It's very easy to be lazy with a wide-angle zoom, to just have it on 18 millimeters or 17 millimeters, and you kind of get the whole view, um, and then maybe you crop it afterwards. But with a 40 mil or a 50 mil prime, or you know, 85 or something like that, you, you've, you're right in there and you're isolating your subjects. The things that you found interesting, the reason why you put your camera to your eye to take that photo, is right there. And um, yeah, I'd recommend ever anyone to, to to have a go if you haven't got a, a prime grab one or even you know stick your zoom on 50 millimeters and have a wander around however saying that i really regretted not having my uh 18 to 55 my 7300 uh, lenses with me because it did mean that i missed some shots especially with, like the lynx helicopters doing their lynx helicopter doing its display which I was a bit gutted about so but there we go i think what i'd really like is what would it be? Something like a, a 35 millimeter, a lens that would go on my 600D that would be just the same as having a 50 millimeter on if it was a full frame body. So there we go, the wrong lens. So I've had a, I've had a quite busy two weeks. I'm a bit gutted because it's back to work tomorrow. It's Sunday here in the UK. It's ten past three. I've got to put the uh, Sunday lunch on in a minute, and I'm thinking, oh, I've got to go home and work <laughs> tomorrow. But you know. I'm committed to going out and doing a lot more photography, taking a lot more videos, putting a lot more stuff up on YouTube, just to kind of share what I learned with you guys and girls. Um, because, uh, you know, this is, I think it's great to have a passion in, in life. And I think my passion definitely, you know, as far as hobbies go, is definitely photography, producing videos for YouTube, recording the podcast, putting stuff on the blog. Because I get so much joy out of, seeing what everybody else is doing on Flickr, for example, um, and knowing about photography from other people, the kind of constant feedback loop you get from people with comments and emails and uh, and just seeing what everybody else does as well. It really it, it really is very rewarding. And I think as, as blokes as well, I mean, this is probably true as women, but we don't always have a creative outlet, do we? Um, we tend to, you know, make things or fix things. But I think with photography, it really is artistic, isn't it? <laughs> if we move beyond the technical, it is artistic. And I, and I really enjoy that artistic bit. And I, I really enjoy doing the stuff for YouTube and doing videos and, and, and sharing stuff. So so I hope this uh, week's long podcast hasn't been too long. Um, oh, one more thing. New photo assignment for September. Um, as usual, this kind of runs in parallel with what Amateur Photography a year are doing over at Amateur Photographer. But the assignment is in a faraway place. So take some photos, something that speaks to you about in a faraway place, and post them on the RobNonphoto.com Flickr group. Again, I'll put the uh, 
link in the show notes at robnumphro.com for show 240. It's uh, We're not going away on holiday, so I don't know, for me it's probably taking photographs of something that maybe looks like it's from a faraway place. Maybe it looks a little bit exotic, um, something like that. I'm not quite sure, but as ever, if you, if you can spare the time to have a go, um, it's a great way of making you think outside of the box about your photography and perhaps doing something that you normally wouldn't have done on that particular day and it'll get you out shooting rather than staying in. Well, that I think that's more than enough from me from um, for this week. My name's Rob from robmanfoto.com. Remember, please email me with questions or suggestions for the podcast or the website for YouTube. You can email me at scalespeeder at gmail.com. That's S-C-A-L-E-S-P. E-E-D-E-R at gmail.com. Remember, SEL is part of the Tech Podcasts community, and you can find other great tech podcasts over at techpodcasts.com. And um, please go over and join the Flickr group as well at Flickr. Just search out the RobinFlickr.com Flickr group. Links are again in the show notes for show 240. It's free. It's great. There's loads of fantastic work that goes, goes in there. And please take part in the photo assignment if you feel like it right so that's it from me um thanks for watching it if you're watching this on youtube or somewhere else Um, but most of all thanks to you for downloading and listening to the podcast my name's rob from robblandphoto.com and hopefully pretty soon i'll see you on flickr